to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I was speaking to my guest, William Kent Kruger, in the green room, and I said, excuse me, that our country should have an author laureate. And that title should go to William Kent Kruger based on his beautiful writing. Um, I'm not sure that... You haven't, if you haven't had the pleasure of reading one of Kent's books, you've missed out on a literary experience. Um, his words are beautifully written. His books are beautifully written. The words are so rich and so moving that I read passages of his books out loud because it sounds so good when to hear it with my own with my own voice. I wish I could listen to Kent read his books because that's how good they are. I'm so proud and honored to welcome to back to the studio, William Kent Kruger. Kent, welcome back to Authors on the Air. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Pam. Thank you. I, I'm, so, I'm so happy that you're here, because I think the last time we spoke was maybe two years ago, and we were talking about a different kind of book. But all of your books are set in your protagonist, Cork O'Connor, um, are kind of set in the same area, a land that you dearly love. And you talk about um, indigenous peoples as well, um, which is another reason why I think you should be the country's author laureate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what could I say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my Corporal Connor series particularly, uh, which I set up in the great Northwoods of Minnesota, deals significantly with the, the Ojibwe, the Anishinaabeg, yes. which is the largest tribal group in northern Minnesota. But in my uh, standalone set in southern Minnesota, I also deal with the native population. Down there, it's the Dakota. Right. And I'm, I'm fascinated, and, and I want to know how you became fascinated by the Ojibwe and the Lakota. Um, the, uh, well, quite honestly, it was a rather mercenary decision to include the Ojibwe initially in my series. Um, I was a huge fan of Tony Hillerman mm. before I began to write mysteries and, uh, and I took a look at Minnesota and thought, well, nobody is doing anything like that with the Ojibwe here. So maybe I could do that. Um, because he, Tony Hillerman had done it so successfully, yes, um, so beautifully, uh, so uh, compassionately that I thought, well, maybe I could do that. Um, so I, what did I know about the Ojibwe population at that point? About what every white person knows about the native sure. cultures we live next door to, which is nothing. So I had a lot to learn, um, and the the that journey learning about the culture, which is an ongoing journey, has just been really rich and rewarding for me. When I was reading your bio in your press kit, um, you talked about moving. You you had a family full of wanderlust. And um, and so you moved to, let me see if I recall, 11 different houses, eight different cities in six different states. And um, But you only dreamed of becoming a writer, yet... You did not become a writer immediately, did you? Well, I served a pretty long apprenticeship. I've written all my life, but it wasn't until I was uh, 48 years old that I published my first novel. Um, I also like your story about being at Stanford. And, (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry it happened to you, but I like the fact that you take ownership of it and you thought, you know, 
no problem. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be there if you're going to take part in the Vietnam War. My niece graduated from Stanford. Um, she's a stellar student and is now in law school. But um, you said that that's where you met your wife, correct? Yeah, that was the summer, or the spring of 1970, and I met my wife shortly after. Actually, it was actually shortly before um, we took over the administration building, which resulted in my being kicked out of Stanford. Um, she came out to spend spring break um, with one of her friends whose brother was the resident assistant on my floor, my dormitory floor. Uh, we mm-hmm. met across the course of that week. Uh, we, we pretty much fell in love. And, How wonderful. Uh, and, yeah, and we've been together pretty much ever since. We've been married 46 years now. Oh, my goodness. That's more than most people are old. I, congratulations. <laughs> and my best to Diane. <laughs> you know. I'll pass that along to her. Please do. Now, the last time you and I spoke, um, you were telling me that you go to a coffee shop or a little restaurant or something where everybody knows you, and that's where you go and write. Are you still going there? Well, I uh, for a quarter of a century, uh, I wrote every morning at a cafe that was iconic here in St. Paul, a place called the St. Clair Broiler. It opened mm-hmm. its doors at 6 o'clock in the morning, so... Um, because I had a job, I had to put food on the table and keep a roof over our head. Um, sure. I, and I wanted to be a writer. I needed to come up with a way to do that. We were living two blocks from the broiler at that point in time. And because they opened their doors at 6 o'clock, I pitched the idea to my wife, uh, Diane, if you're, if you're willing to get the kids up and dressed and fed and off to school first thing in the morning so that I can go write, I, I, I promise you when I come home at the end of the day from my job, I'll be the best husband, the best father you can possibly <laughs> imagine. She bought it. So there I was every morning at the broiler with my pen and notebook in hand, and I did that for decades. Um, the broiler closed its doors two years ago, actually. Aww. but. Uh, but I still do all of my writing in coffee shops every morning. They're just different coffee shops now. Um, I even, you, I, even a... I write in coffee in hotel coffee shops when I'm on the road. I try to write every day, regardless of whether I'm touring or not. How fascinating! Um, uh, do you not notice the din be- around you, or, or, or do you put on noise canceling headphones? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> I, I, because I don't go to coffee shops because I'm I'm adamantly against those chain stores like uh, Starbucks, and um and, and it's too expensive to just get coffee when I can, you know, make it myself. So, but it's always a lot of noise. There's a, a cacophony going on. Does does that help you, hinder you, or you just don't even notice? Um, it's a part of the, it's a part of the environment, in which my work is developed. So I don't even notice it. Typically speaking. Um, in fact, I can't write at home because it's too quiet here. Quiet. <laughs> I do need some noise. I do need to be uh, in an environment where there's activity and people moving. And I feel like I, even though I'm not really there, I'm still involved in life somehow. Otherwise, it's just it's almost too solitary an endeavor for me. Interesting. Can we talk about this tender land, please? Sure. Will you give listeners an, a little idea about what the book is about? And by sure, the way, is this is this an? Uh, I know that it's similar to Ordinary Grace. Is this a companion book, but not a series? 
Yeah, I've always called it a companion book rather mm-hmm. than a sequel because for anyone who's read Ordinary Grace, it doesn't deal with the drum family, the family at the heart right. of Ordinary Grace. I told their right. story. I call it a companion novel because like Ordinary Grace, it's set in southern Minnesota rather than the northern Minnesota of my Cork O'Connor series. And like right. Ordinary Grace, it's set in an earlier time. Ordinary Grace was set in the summer of 1961. This tender land is set in the summer of 1932, deep in the Great Depression. It's the story of four orphans running from the law because they've committed a terrible crime, but for the right reason. They know if they take to the roads to to try to get away, they'll be caught quickly because a huge manhunt has been launched to capture them. They're afraid to ride the rails, as everybody was doing back in the Depression, because the railroads back then were patrolled by private cops called bulls. And the bulls had a reputation for being incredibly cruel. So the kids are afraid Mm. to ride the rails. Instead, they decide to take to the rivers. They canoe a river called the Gilead to the Minnesota. They canoe the Minnesota to the Mississippi. And their plan is to canoe all the way down the Mississippi River to St. Louis, where they believe they have family and they'll be safe. Um, I've always wanted to write an updated version of Huckleberry Finn, Pam, and this is my Huckleberry Finn. (laughs) This is is your Huck Finn. It is an exceptionally beautiful, beautiful book to read. From, From someone who reads as much as I do, I can tell you that, and I think I said this to you in the green room, I... I sticky noted, you know, sticky noted the whole book because when I, I wanted to go back, sometimes immediately went back and would read paragraphs at a time out loud. It, it's just beautiful. It's it's breathtaking. I, and, and thank you so much for <laughs> You're writing. You're making my it. day. Thank you. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, if it goes by your approval ratings on Amazon. Other people feel the same way. It's it's just an exquisite book. Um, uh, will you be when you finish touring? I'm assuming by what you said, you write a little bit every day. Will you be continuing on in this Southern Minnesota series, or will you move back up north with Cork? Well, I have two two more novels in the Cork O'Connor series under contract. I am in spitting distance of finishing the first uh, novel. Uh, it's, uh, it will be called Lightning Strike, and it's actually a prequel to the Cork O'Connor series. And oh. then I have one more book under contract that I'll write after that. But then I want to launch into a third companion novel to Ordinary Grace in this tender oh. end. Oh, I'm so excited to know that. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I was... When I took my copy of Ordinary Grace to BoucherCon in St. Pete, I was praying that you would be there, and you were, and you signed it. I actually have a photo of you and I with your book, and um, it's a cherished thing for me, having your book on my shelf with a signature. Um, are you still touring for this Tenderland? I was uh, at the Miami Book Fair last weekend, and that right. pretty much officially ended my book tour. Yeah, it we went on for three see. months, so it was yes. time. That's a long one. Do you do a lot of travel during your, when you tour, or do you stay pretty much in your region? No, I. Uh, although the Upper Midwest is 
has been tremendously supportive of my work over the years, and so I try to make sure that um, I visit all of the all of the bookstores with whom I've become friends over the years. But I also um, try to travel across the country, so I hit the East Coast and the West Coast. This time I did a significant uh, portion of the tour in the South, trying to make inroads there. I want to know if you have a relationship with the Ojibwe and the Lakota. Um, I would say that I have a great understanding and appreciation of their culture. I have many friends inside the uh, Ojibwe community, not so much the Lakota or Lakota community, either of those. But um, but yes, I do have a significant relationship with uh, the Ojibwe community. What do they think about you writing about them? Well, I can only tell you uh, the response of those people who have actually contacted me. And mm-hmm. uh, their response has been quite um, quite gratifying. Um, basically, what I hear from them is, is that they are pleased with how I, how I present the Ojibwe culture, that I um, am respectful of it, um, while being at the same time uh, realistic in my portrayal of, of the culture. Here's an example. I got an email not too long ago from, that went something like this. Uh, Dear Mr. Kruger, I am the tribal librarian for the Lance uh, Reservation, which is on the upper peninsula of Michigan. She said, when any of our tribal members uh, come into the library and they're not sure what they want to read, I always recommend your books. Because for a white guy, you do a pretty good job. How about that? I appreciated hearing that, but that's that's the kind of response I've heard. That said, I know because I have no native blood in me, because I'm a white guy trespassing on a culture not my own, that I don't get it all right, that I don't write from the inside. I'm painfully aware of that. Would you ever consider speaking to tribal leaders to find out what you think you're missing? Oh, uh, my friends tell me what I'm missing all the time. Do they? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But, but what I'm missing really is something I will never have, and that's a, a true understanding from the heart Yes. what it is to be Native. Yes. You know, um, you mentioned Tony Hellerman, and, and of course um, – as you know, I'm friends with Ann Hillerman. She has been a guest on my show a couple times. And she feels the same way about the, the Native Americans that she lives around. And she has said the same thing. She tries to do them, you know, justice and paint them accurately. Um, and she has a great reverence for, for the tribal people there. And so I'm hoping that, and as a lot of listeners know, we're – Ann Hillerman requested the first time I interviewed her if she could interview you. So I'm hoping we can make that happen next year. Um, I also want to make a mention to my friends here in Southwest Florida that Kent Kruger is going to be at Southwest Readers Fest um, this year. I'm so thrilled. Uh, The lineup for authors at our, our local library system is amazing. And so please go to Southwest Readers Fest on and get the information because Mr. Kruger shall be there. Um, Kent, I, I'm so delighted that you took time out of your busy day, and I know you're always busy. Um, thank you for being with me today. And um, I wish you and Diane and your family a lovely holiday season and a very happy new year. 
Thank you, and right back at you, Pam. And thanks once again for inviting me to be a guest. I always enjoy my uh, my talks with you. Thank you, and and you're always welcome back anytime you want. And by the way, if there's an author you want to interview, let me know, and let's go ahead and set that up. Okay. You might, as a matter of fact, when James Lee Burke comes back on, you would be the perfect person to talk to him because he's well, he's. he's uh, he and Tony Ellerman are uh, kind of the two icons for me. Well, usually he has a book. He comes out with a book usually once a year, and he comes every January. And he's such – he's like you. He's a very erudite man, and um, I don't – I'm really not smart enough to do an interview with him justice, just as I'm probably not smart enough to do an interview with you justice. But um, Well, you've done a fine job, Pam. <laughs> I appreciate that, but you know it's it's only it's because I read your books and appreciate them so much. Kent, tell everyone where they can find you on the web, please. I'm at uh, www.williamkentkruger.com. Pretty easy to remember. And uh, do you do social media at all? Yes, I have a Facebook page. Um, I'm on Instagram, and I have a Twitter account. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I, I you know. <laughs> every, every, doesn't every author have all of these things now? It's yes. pretty much required. Now, I, I think Instagram is the big thing that everybody's going for. And I, I, the woman who runs our book review section, said I'm going to start an Instagram account. And I said, just don't involve me, you know, because that I have Twitter is amazing. I actually prefer going to LinkedIn and talking about my shows there. But you have a newsletter too, and there is a link on your website to sign up for your newsletter, correct? That's correct. And I put out a newsletter about every six to eight weeks. Wow, that's pretty great. And you also are a big fan of book clubs. You will be happy to Skype with oh, book clubs. Oh, I Skype with book clubs all the time, yes. And uh, that's also, there's also a link for that on my website. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being with me, Kent, and I look forward to talking to you again. Listeners, this is William Kent Kruger. The book is This Tender Land. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Thank you so much, Kent, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Uh, and I hope you do, too. Thank you so much for Thank having you, Kent. me. Absolutely. Bye-bye. And that's our show for today. I wish all of you out there in listener land a very happy Thanksgiving. I wish you peace and love and joy. I hope you have an abundance of those because if you do, you are truly blessed. Thank you, Mom and Dad, and thank you, listeners. Bye-bye. 